We are hanging out on 94.0 FM and you are back with the Halal Hangouts boys for another episode on your airwaves. Guys, be sure to tune in to 94.0 FM every week at 7 p.m. here. Uh, the Halal Hangouts boys discussing topics and talking to amazing people. And today, talking about amazing people, we have on the line with us, Asad, who is the director or the founder of Banging Burgers, Andy's Banging Burgers, uh, who are, if I was to summarize in a sentence, they're basically on a mission to create the best burger in the world. Is that right, Asad? Is that the concept? Yeah, says, how are you? I'd like to say I'm half the founder. The other half can speak <laughs> later on. So I'm the AY and Andy, Andy Nathan. We'll be meet Jonas in a bit as well. That's an interesting uh, story. So you, you, we spoke about this before. So tell us about how Andy's came up. Because I, I thought Andy's was a great name. Uh, but how did you come up with the name? Uh, Andy's is a great name. You're, you're correct there, but... Myself and Nathan went to school together many, many years ago. We took the game back, well, well, we're 42 now, so we met 30 years ago, 32 years ago. And um, we were in another business together, so we work uh, in a company, well, we own a company called Cultural Capital, which is a welfare-to-work young people's organisation that helps young people get back into work or in education and we're centrally funded. We've been doing that for the last eight, nine years. Going back beyond that, Nathan was a teacher and I worked in, for the probation service and the youth service. So we've both got um, youth welfare to work background. And well, we just such a program called Man V Food. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, the, the guys, um, uh, it's an American program, right? And they just eat. Yeah. Tons of food. All, all across all across America, and he, uh, he does some crazy challenges. The food itself looked really nice on a number of occasions, but um, it wasn't available to me because there wasn't halal options available. When we were, whenever me and Nathan went out, there'll be the veg or the chicken option. It's just right there. So the veg or the chicken option, and 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 that's uh, the fried chicken, right? It's usually the fried chicken option. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So yeah. I'm a beef, I'm a beef and lamb man. So um, chicken didn't really exactly the same. Exactly the same. And you, 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 you mentioned something really interesting that uh, man versus food was your one of your inspirations. It's actually one of our inspirations as well uh, with halal hangouts. I remember watching him years ago, you know, a long time back, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. watching all the episodes and thinking, I would like to do what he's doing. Maybe not the challenges, but just go around and try amazing food. So that was he was actually one of our inspirations. But um, so, so he inspired part, and then what happened there? So you, you kind of uh, came up with this concept of uh, Andy's banging burgers. Um, before that, were you running any um, anything similar, anything in hospitality or or food? No, we've got no, we've got no hospitality background. We've uh, we're just people's people, and uh, we wanted to put our own money in to prove a point to ourselves because we went all over the. We've been all over the country. Well, whenever me and Nathan go out to eat, we always go along. Yeah. Because I mean, and um, on the few occasions where we've been into places and I've said, I love options on the ticket, 
we thought we'd go across. We thought we could believe it. We believed, and it was our own money, it was our own gamble, that we could produce a product that is... We based it on three things. Quality of the product, the taste, and the economics. And we thought, yeah, we could produce a, the banging product, and our banging burger, hopefully, is that product. What we believe is that product. So who came up with the banging in Banging Burgers? Who came up with that slogan? Because I think that's actually, everyone knows when they think Andy's, they think Banging Burgers, like the slogan immediately uh, pops out. So whoever did that, genius, who, who come up with the slogan? I think mean, that comes from our roots. Our East London boys grew up in Walthamstow. It's a phrase that we regularly come across. Banging. That's true. That is a, that's a, that's so being a Londoner, being an East Londoner, that was just, part of the vocab yeah. banging burgers and it's got a ring to it and you know it, it works it works it's uh it's it's a it's a lovely lovely we wanted to make a burger place that's open to everyone see? there's no restrictions previously i was restricted going to certain burger joints because i couldn't eat it wasn't halal so yeah. our plan in this and our place is open to everyone so let's take let's go back a bit then so you basically were probation officer your partner was um teacher uh, so when was, this, yeah. when was this? When was this? Um, um, cultural. Well, we left university in the early 2000s, 2001, 2002. And then we went into the working world. So the next eight, ten years, and if anyone's any work for a, any public organisation, you'd be aware that you'd be working at places where some of the managers are not necessarily the best people to be there and their promotions and their skill sets are based outside their performance. Yeah. But if you're not working for council, probation centers, sometimes I, I worked there for 10 years and I can't remember a manager who was, um, I thought deserved to be there. It was only the big bucks. And when you come out, because coming from Warhamstead, when you go to university, they sold you the dream that when you come out, there'd be a, big check with zeros on the end of it. Sure. And companies will up to you and yeah, there you go. Well done. You've, you've done the yardage. I was the first in my family to go to university. So what did you uh, study yeah. when you were at uni? Did you start study uh, anything uh, to I, do with your work? I, criminal justice and policing. I was going to join the police. Right. So that's where the probation officers yeah. work that naturally went in there. But you said you didn't find the... Uh, opportunities that you really were looking for, or maybe it was more of a was it was that from a job or a, from a pay or both? Um, to be, if I looked at it critically, it'd be my thought was ill discipline. Yeah, when you in these organizations, got to be subservient, not naturally speak your mind, and sometimes you got to let things go. And I've got the character, I find it difficult that I'll speak my mind. And um, in organizations such as that, it's not based around performance and pay. It's based for me. It's based around being subservient and following the rules. Right. And I've never been one of them individuals who follows rules. I find it a bit more. Of it. So you found it more. It. Yeah. So so I, I I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, especially uh, you know coming out of university. Similar. I, I wanted to start my own business. Uh, my my I come from a background of down. You know, down in your sides actually, your neck of the woods in Commercial Road. My dad was running businesses for you know, for decades in, 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 in and around East London. And um, 
it was kind of a mum, you know, she's always she's always been been into business. So it was something that naturally I felt when I left university, I was expecting, um, you know, like you say, you kind of you, you feel like you're going to get, um, you know, a huge paycheck at the end of your university degree. You're going to fall into an amazing role with a, with a huge salary. And it just doesn't it just doesn't work you know, unless you're lucky. Um, and and I, I wanted to do business for a long time, but I ended up, you know, going the traditional route and doing a career. And then, you know, later on uh, throughout. So more recently, I say over the last four or five years, have I been kind of doing more stuff on the side side businesses. Uh, but it was always in my blood. So was it something that you when you left university was in the back of your mind that you were thinking, actually, I really am an entrepreneur. You said you didn't want to be subservient, which means you wanted to almost empower yourself to go out and do something for, for yourself. Me, for me, it says, um, we had to make, our parents did what they could. To me, I'll speak for myself. My parents did what they could do. They had standard manual labor jobs. And I, I knew I didn't want to do that. When I came out of university, I thought to go into the police. But at the time, the Stephen Lawrence inquiry was going on. That happened. That put me off it. Um, I joined the probation service because my mum always wanted me to wear a suit and go to a, a nine-to-five looking good. But it, it, I wasn't happy there. The old traditional methods of working didn't suit me. They didn't want to revolutionise and bring innovative ideas. It just wasn't for me. And um, I had a lot of... Um, I had success with clients, but my success with my managers and my seniors... It wasn't for me. I think there's too much bureaucracy there where they need to tick boxes rather than do the work. And the stats are important to them. And for me, I think sometimes they, um, the stats can look colourful in their benefit. And the work's not actually big. And they're, they're paid to help people who are vulnerable. And for me, I don't think they go that extra. There are people in there that go extra, that extra yard that don't get rewarded. And there's people in the senior position who just want to do paperwork and send them off to central offices and say the stats are brilliant. We're really helping. It worked for me. And I'm always been one of them people that um, I'd come up with an idea. People may laugh. And that'd give me the determination to say, okay, then we'll see who wins in the end. Yeah. Let's put this idea and see if it works. And, when we started Cultural Capital, we had a lot of backlash that, oh, you guys stay you're in good jobs, stay there, you won't be able to do this. We initially got a contract that was ideal for us because we were paid on performance. So the first contract we got was a company called Connection. They gave us a contract on performance. And within three months, they raised their profile. I don't know how much knowledge you have around government contracts or welfare to work. They give you a set amount of targets to reach for the whole year. So you give them a profile for the year, and by the end of the year, you expect to reach them targets. One of them targets could be getting someone into training, from training, into a job, sustaining for six months. So that's target stretches for nine months. Right. The initial process, sign up. Yeah. Or meeting the agenda and get them onto the program. So I'm like, we don't really what about the contract? So what, what was your targets? What were you trying to deliver? So we, had, we were given a target to work with 150 young people between the ages of 16 to 19 who fell in five categories, either from a single parent family, um, teenage pregnancies, substance misuses, homeless, 
or had a criminal record or had been involved with the police. Right. And you know, as long as the target for them was to get them into ET employment training or education and sustain for six months. We get paid, but so if we if we signed up a young person, we'll get a minimal payment. If we engage them into a college, we'll get another nominal payment. And if we sustain them for six months, you'd get fifty percent of the payment at the end. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And, so and that must be difficult because sustaining, I guess, uh, for, oh, maybe you is... say, for us, for us, we, for us, it was a challenge for us because we wanted to prove that we could do this. And it's not difficult because we come from these backgrounds. Yeah. So we met, we, we went to, we both went to a school called Warwick. Warwick Boys is quite um, famous for the wrong reasons. We always come bottom of the table in the uh, TCSE results. But when we had 32, 34 people in our class how is a teacher supposed to teach an hour lesson to 34 students? Mm. And then when, when I got to university, I realized the privilege of some of the schools and oh, wow, you had this much extracurricular support and your classes are in small numbers and you're provided with loads of facilities. Wow, you're an advantage because of the postcode you bought it. That postcode will reflect will help you and support you in your education journey. And that just, so those kids who go through that journey, when they get to university, they're, pre they're prepped for the working world. And their parents or their peers would have been in the working world. And the next steps are easy. Because someone who drops out at school, and my mum and dad may be unemployed or not worked or first generation, second generation migrants, where's the support for them? Mm -hmm. who's, picking up, who's picking them up and advising and giving them partial advice to guys and say, hi, these are the next steps you can take. You may not necessarily be good in the classroom, but start to pick up a trade that's going to give you a living for the rest of your life. Agreed. They're lost in that gap and we were aware of that gap. So we ensure we put mentors in place who are ready to pick them up in that gap and guide them into the colleges. And we also offered colleges free staff our staff will be present for the whole academic year on site supporting the learners. So if they did have a bad day or there's something going on outside the college, we supported them. We were that net, that saviour net. Alhamdulillah, for us, we were based payments by results. So we had to put effort into the whole year to ensure they get food. So we get paid. So we had a massive financial risk at the start because we were paying staff, but our our bulk of our finances would have come at the end, which would have been in June. Got you. So if we, if we picked up 10 learners, for example, and we dropped them in June, before June, we don't get paid. We could have done four or five months of good work, but we didn't get the result. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost, um, it's, it's like that. Um, it, 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 so you, you essentially aren't getting any upfront fee no that you're taking on but but you're being offered opportunities you know to work with 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 these youngsters uh, and develop them uh, through this program uh with the you know acknowledgement that at the end you receive a fee but at the same time it's high risk high reward i guess because you're not necessarily going to have everyone come through the program no so it's high if, risk, uh, high reward. sorry to 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 uh but in um 
So I said, what we're going to do, we're going to go to a break uh, for, a, for a few minutes um, and would love to continue to talk to you about the work that you did prior to Andy's and then talk more about Andy's and how you started that. So we will be back after these messages. Excellent. And we are back on 94.0 FM. We are hanging out with the Halal Hangouts team we also have on the um on the airwaves today Asad who is the co-founder of Andy's Banging Burgers but we're also learning quite a bit about Andy's Andy's I'm calling you Andy sorry Asad yeah, Asad background I like it uh, I, I like yeah we, I, I might mix between the two um the the background of you know his work youth work prior to that working, uh, you know, as a probation officer out of uni. Um, really interesting stuff that you did um, in this program to help develop. Um, uh, would you say that they would be classed as troubled youths or is it, um, would you work no, essentially I'm not, anyone? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of that word troubled or I'm, I'm a fan of, um, we were there to highlight opportunities for young people they could take advantage of that they may necessarily not know about. So would it be, was there a, was there like a cry? So the people that entered this program, what was their background? Like, could anyone enter the program or were they from, you know, uh, anyone deprived background? The, the criteria for the people that fall into the category, as I said earlier, were, Kelly was homeless, substance misuse, single parent families. They naturally come from uh, economic deprivation, unfortunately, generally. There's a few exceptions to the rule, but generally those in them categories are not necessarily born in Kensington and Chelsea. Mm. They've got the support to help them. So, yeah, they're national contracts. They fall under the, bar uh, the acronym of NEAT, not in, not in employment, in education or training. Okay, that makes sense. So they fall under that acronym. Um, they then, how do they find out about these schemes? Is it through the government? And do they kind of... Oh, we, we, what, uh, where we were great is that what our trusters and a lot of bigger organisations, we were, were our competitors are people, uh, familiar fat household names such as Reed. So yeah. they're in the same as us. We don't necessarily have to wear nice shiny shoes and suits and sit behind desks. We expected our staff to go out, to go to youth clubs, go to local messages, go to churches, go to Westfield, go to the local parks where young people hang about, go to them and speak to them. Because the natural um, progression for a young person who leaves school is to go to college. That's a natural progression. Now it's a mandatory learning age of up to 18 as well. So at the time, these people are still being lost. Why are they being lost in the system? And who's going out to do outreach and find out what they're doing and where are they? If you lose them in the system between the age of 16 and 18, the chance of them going to prison and not working, there's a study that's, they're, they're going to be economically inactive until their 30s. So for us, it was going out there and meeting people and expressing our personality and our thesis and what we believed in our model and then offering them the opportunity that there's ways to become economically active 
outside what you hear on TV with the Instagram craziness and saying that someone can become a millionaire and everyone wants to be a footballer. It doesn't happen for everyone. There are opportunities in that you can find a location. It might not necessarily be on the stage or football. So you might not be playing in the first 11, but if you take up a qualification, there's a chance you'll be part of, still part of the football sector or if you become a physio. You know, your student counselors, uh, your student guidance uh, officers and stuff that are back in school that would give you some uh, or career advice, but never, to be honest, I never really partook Mate, in that it. Career, that, but, that career advice when we were at Warwick, they yeah. said someone was going to be a bin. <laughs> it was a set questionnaire, we all fill out what we like, what we don't like, and then they score you and say, oh, these are the mm. opportunities that are available to you. I was, oh, my opportunity was something like an environmental hygienist or as basically a bin man. Yeah. So yeah, but they, but never you took it, you almost uh, supercharged that. So you took, you took that concept, which is supposed to be a service, right? For students, which they don't necessarily, like you say, you know, they don't necessarily qualify you or really take much effort and care into, into what advice they're giving you. Um, but you're doing this for that population, the neat population, but you're giving them real, um, real advice, essentially. You're giving them real career guidance. You're giving them real opportunities that I would say a lot of people wouldn't understand or really recognize at that age um, or in that demographic. Yeah. Nathan's got a brilliant phrase that he always mentions to me, and I'll repeat that. It's non-financial social assets. That's what we were giving these young people. Non-financial social assets. Okay. Yeah, got you. We, <laughs> we, for our first year, we, we, um, we decided that we'll split the money we're getting as well three ways. So a third of the money went back into youth services that we paid for. A third of the money went back into our staffing. Mm -hmm. And then a third was split between us and the taxman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> yeah, so we well, I mean, a taxman gets a cut no matter what. So that's, uh, you know, that's uh, <laughs> uh, comes with the territory. A third was split between us and him. So we had, we spent thousands on people getting driving licenses, um, qualifications that they could get into work. Some people just wanted welfare and bus fare because you remember at the same time, there used to be a system where they, I can't remember what it's called, but they used to give them £30 a month. Every college, if you attended college for 100%, you got £30 a month or £30 a week. And then they got rid of that. That was brilliant for some families because the young person could pay for his travel fare, they earn back and lots of money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I Know, but now maybe, maybe, uh, <laughs> five, six years ago, yeah, yeah, it was about five years ago they were doing that in colleges. Where I can't remember, it was GM2, I can't remember the name of it. They were doing that and they were getting burst. Burst fees were easily accessible. That all changed, mashallah. You know what? I have to, I have to say that you know, this this kind of work is so necessary and it's, it's brilliant to hear that you know, you guys are involved in this stuff because, um, you know, even. Through my work, I've heard, you know, I've been involved in some campaigns which were looking at um, the um, the causes um, 
of knife crime. Uh, um, and, and the focus was London for this campaign. Um, and they gave some really good examples of, of places like uh, Glasgow, where knife crime was reduced massively through some of the work that the um, the uh, the government, the police forces, and and um, and and youth workers did on the ground around really reaching out to on the front line, reaching out to you know people involved in um, in gangs, people that could be headed but that I, way. I've read, I've, read the, I've read the report. Sorry to interrupt you, mate. I've read the report yeah. on that, and uh, the chief of police in London, one of the guys who helped. Uh, reduce knife crime. Glasgow is a different city, different place, mate. There's um, the demographics and the people that live there predominantly belong to one community or two communities. In London, we've got everyone's there. Yeah. <laughs> it's normal. There's no, there's no one who's. Um, you can walk down the street wearing a pink leotard and pink shoes and a blue hat, and no one will blink an eye. Blink an eyelid. It's normal. Everything in London is normal. The communities. The people, the amount of people we got here, it's the reach. I mean, it's very difficult unless we go down on the ground like we did and actually reach out to the communities. Mm. Focusing on the people that need the support. And a lot of the reports that the government produced for me are not accurate. Mm -hmm. But do, would you say so that the principles are? Because I guess the point is the point, the, the bigger point to be make is touching. I think what they do. What yeah. they do, what we've learned is they would put funding aside, then a big organization would get the funding, they would keep 30% of it, and then they'll subcontract it out to smaller organizations like ours. And that's how oh. funding traditionally works. Yeah, so yeah. on, no, no, totally by that point, but on the general principles of what you're trying to achieve, so to touch, touch this population, this demographic, whilst they're in that kind of, um, I think you said 16 to 18 age range, where um, they're more, I guess, um, um, malleable, I guess, it's probably a good time to speak to them so that their influences are, are positive influences. My question is, do you think that that is the right approach? Speak, you know, the way that you guys have been going through this and, 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 and developing these programs and putting them through the programs, do you feel that this is, what are the results? What are the what are you seeing? For me, um, listening the first process, young people are always complaining about not being heard. We don't listen. We need to understand, relate, have some empathy of what's going through and everyone's an individual. There's no set model to use. We for example when we meet young people, for example, on the first occasion First two occasions, we don't do no paperwork. We let them know of our services. We don't collect data. A lot of these organizations, when they first meet people, they start collecting data, name, address, date of birth, where you live. We let them know of their services, and we ask them if they want to come. And we sign contracts before they start that these are the following rules you've got to follow to attend our center. Are you comfortable with that? We've got to set boundaries with them, give them responsibilities ensure that they know what they want to do and what opportunities are available out there. Because mm -hmm. that way, what, for me, when I work with women, so I, I encourage my staff to do the same. Let them have the honest and the responsibility of achievement. Because some people are not ready to change. Mm -hmm. 
the time you've got there, you've got to give them the time and the opportunity. And sometimes you've got to give other people a, a leeway now and then. Because the door seems to be closed in their face whenever they make a mistake. And then you've lost the young person then. You've got to give them the opportunity and help them recycle back into the system. Yeah, I will start again. Amazing. The cycle of change allows for the opportunity to slip off. Schools and other stuff to do services might not. I don't think they necessarily give that. They're, they're very comfortable labeling people with ADHD or with a troublemaker. The label don't work for me. Mm, mm. Got, for me, we're all born um, equal. We develop dependent on our social environment. And who's there to support us? So let's. I, uh, I don't think, so that's. I don't uh, think we're all. Sorry, go ahead. I don't think we're, I don't think we're all born Maradona, mate. I, I don't think no, I think we can develop. We may not necessarily be as good as Maradona. I think that's a God given talent for me, but um, right. can develop. One of the best players. And enhance. I agree. I think I think just on just to end on this um, on this point, I think that what you said there is um, for me is around failure. Like you should be allowed to fail. You should be allowed to learn from that failure, come back and, you know, and grow. And I think that um, it's important to understand that because uh, saying to someone they have ADHD or, you know, they're, you know, um, they're a lost cause is the wrong approach um and I, I i like i like the fact that you spoke a lot about listening and i think even in anything you do is that um emotional intelligence that you need when you're speaking to people to understand see where they're coming from if i can just add a point on that is when i went to university a lot of my friends when we left university took gap years or went traveling or wanted to change total change of career and their parents encouraged it now, sometimes I laugh. If I come home and I said to my parents, I wanted to go into drama or art, what response would I get? <laughs> Failure. <a> doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are you going to earn money? We close doors very early. Yeah. We don't give them the opportunity to learn and develop. Mm. That's not for me. Let's entertain. Having a, all these worldly skill sets are brilliant. It will develop somewhere. Mm. Communication for me is best. So if someone can learn to talk and relate to someone, their chances of getting a job or enhancing or increasing their career prospects, you're 60% there. People by people. Agreed. I thank you, Asid. I yeah. think you've made some really, uh, really interesting points and I, I applaud the work that you guys have been doing. Now I want to shift gears because I want to talk a bit about Andy's um in the next segment uh, we've got a minute left on this segment um so just a quick um um, um question actually um uh, which hopefully you can answer in 30 seconds is are you still doing the youth work and if so um what what are you doing with it right now uh yeah, our company is called cultural capital um so yeah, we're still doing stuff. We're working with 16 to 24 year olds, and we're also working with adult learners, 24 plus who are unemployed. We offer free training and access into employment. You can visit our website, www.culturecapital.org.uk, or phone the office on 0208 
556-1771. We're based in Leighton. But we've got funding for all of London. Amazing. Thank you. Anyone unemployed or not in work and want some careers advice, contact yeah. our staff. Makes it up. Perfect. So thank you, Asad. Uh, that's the end of this segment. Now, guys, when we come back, we're going to shift gears and start talking about Andy's Banging Burgers uh, with Asad, who is the co-founder. We are back on 94.0 FM. It's the final segment of today's show. It's the Halal Hangout team on your airwaves with Asad, the co-founder of Andy's Banging Burgers. Um, so let's talk about Andy's. Now, you obviously, your your background is, um, is I mean, it's really interesting. The work you've been doing is brilliant. But Andy's, I guess, how did that come about? Because you, you mentioned that, you know, it was something that you... Uh, you, you what happened with what happened with Andy? Me, 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 and Nathan. I'm going to bring him in. Now, well, I'm asking to come in now. Is uh, like I said, we. Um, one of the reasons was is there's been an election three times in the last five years. Uh, general election. If Nathan, election, Nathan can dial in on those details so that we can hear him, and uh, be the best way to join. Um, yeah, sorry, carry on. Bring carry him on. in. Nathan, say hello, Nathan. Hello, how are you doing? You right? Yeah, that's clear. I just want to make sure I can hear you both. Yeah, that's fine, guys. Carry on. Uh, there's been a general election three times in the last five years. During the election, we don't get paid because um, there's a process called PERDA that takes place. So um, our funding gets restricted. And we, I wanted to go down the nursery route. I'll put that on the record. I thought it was a good route to go down. I enjoyed it. Uh, I've worked with a few of them. I've done a bit of consulting for them. And Nathan wanted to go down the food route. And in a nutshell, I wanted to sell um, cheap slider burgers like testicles, stack them high and sell them cheap and just get them out of the shop. Uh, I thought the market was there because there's so many of these. About two, when we first started about two, three years ago, there's so many of these about to appear. It was, I thought it was going to be like the chicken shop. I think we're close to the same age as uh, do you remember the chicken shop influx on every corner there was a chicken shop yeah I mean to be honest that's that is what I remember because th that was like our first um yeah uh, um exposure to lots of uh halal food halal <laughs> was halal fried yeah. chicken halal fried chicken <laughs> so I would have gone down that route then myself and Nathan I'll put I'll let everyone know it's the first time we've ever argued in business uh, we didn't. Uh, then what we decided to do is Nathan took over the shop, and uh, Nathan's responsibility was um, we'd had the shop for six months and we weren't doing much with it. Nathan's responsibility was within the next six months he's going to make me a banging burger that we will be able to sell. At the time, I said to him, "If you make me a burger that's like 50, 60 percent decent, I'll be able to sell it." He said, no, don't worry. You won't need to sell this. This is going to sell itself. And that all brings us down to our motivations for doing it. Is why do we have to be the lowest? Why, why do we have to be the lowest denominator? Why can't we have quality food? Why, why do we have to aim for the chicken shop? Yeah, all these times we've gone to these, uh, these places, uh, our um, choices are reduced just because we, uh, because we allow food. It's not, that's not the way I wanted to do things. So I said, you know what? If I'm going to, we're going to do a burger shop, don't want to do the 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 the, the, the McDonald's inspired stuff. Let's let's go for the quality. 
Let's go for quality. When you say quality, Nathan, you're talking about obviously you guys use like like ground, freshly ground beef, right? And that's uh, yeah. you know uh, proper beef, proper beef cuts to create your burgers. Mm -hmm. It's proper beef cuts. We use like, heritage breed. We use. See, the thing is, I'm 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 quite um, I'm quite picky when it comes to food. I've eaten some of the best restaurants in the world. I've eaten some of the worst restaurants in the world. Yeah, um, what's it? And I think each each of those experiences has something different and positive to offer. And uh, what's it? Um, yeah, I like to I, I like to think that um, if we're going to solve, it's the same ethics that drove uh, cultural capital, it's the same ethics that uh, drives uh, this uh, company. We just want to give people the best and the best that we can get. It's, it's not so you can you can have the stack them high mentality, but for me, I think quality stands out more. And um, hold uh, in, in terms of time much better than um, than volume. I agree now. By the way, six months in when we when we got the burger ready, I said yeah, hard for me to see because I'm ninety nine point nine percent of the time I'm right, but on this <laughs> on this occasion I was wrong. And uh, we the three um, measured factors we went by is quality of meat used, the taste of the product. Um, economics. Well, it's not. It's not. It's not even all the quality of meat. It's everything. See, the thing is, when people come in there, that's the big selling point. You're eating a burger. You want to have uh, quality beef. Uh, peppers. Uh, they come. They come straight from Indonesia. I don't. You. Uh, we don't use normal peppers in the in the shop because I just think it adds a bit better quality to the taste. Mm -hmm. um, the fish. Billingsgate. Every uh, uh, Billingsgate. That's fresh. And um, sometimes we get that fish that's been swimming in the sea the night before. We get that straight from the uh, from the supply. Comes straight off the ship in um from Norway. To the docks, straight down to Billings Gate. Everything, everything we do, we try to put a little extra into it. Um, on, on the fish note, if I'm allowed yeah. to come in, on the fish note, our regular customers know that if the fish is not sold that day, it's given away free in the last hour. We just give it out because we're not going to use get it down the next in the day. last hour. And that's yeah, your given uh, out. that's your cod, right? You have a cod option in your in your on your menu. Um, is that is that uh, one you're referring to? Like fr is it like fried cod. Yeah. You do, yeah. So that's yeah, um, cod is, uh, ginger, ginger uh, beer battered cod burger. Ginger yeah. beer battered cod. That sounds good. Yeah. I've had ginger beer version before. Uh, just just for the listeners, obviously, beer battered cod is the um, haram version for, for us. Um, the mm -hmm. the question actually just just t just talking about your food and 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 the fact that you mentioned um, uh, that you're trying to, I guess, ethically source the, the meat as well. You guys are HMC certified. Do you feel that that's something that matters in your in the community in 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 East London, particularly Mile End, where, from what I hear, I know people that are business owners around there. That HMC is an important part of their business. So, the question is, why HMC? Why not um, just go with any other, you know, halal body? Well. Uh Nathan's not Muslim, inshallah, he is, becomes one. Yeah, everyone pray for that. Uh, what we did, we wanted to find the best. HMC's like the official stamp of halal food in England. It's the best one we found. It's generally recognized as the strongest opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a good, uh, it's a good uh, the point that I guess, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's certainly got a. Um, um, I think it's got the um, seal of approval, uh, HMC for sure, and it's widely recognised in the UK for sure. I'm just wondering, was that a conscious decision to go with HMC because of the community? And is it something that the community asked for? Or 
like <laughs> a lot of other restaurants, they're not HMC, but they all serve halal meat, just be certified by another body. Remember going what we said earlier on that we wanted our restaurant to be accessible to everyone. Okay. Um, so we can have that makes, HMC. What makes a banging burger? Time. People make it a quality value for money. It's most of all about the quality, but then it's the overall experience. That's so why we went to have a shop where it was not like uh, uh, people just doing their job. It's people that are actually passionate about the food that they're making. They'll say hello to you. They'll have a conversation. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll ask you your needs. They'll give you that choice um, in order to make that bang and burger. Like we could have a, our bespoke burgers and you can eat them. And some people could like them, but you might not like their single burger. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not. You might want something else in your burger. So what we try to do is we try to we try to do something that uh, meets all the potential needs of the people that uh, want to have a, a, a good burger. It's a bespoke burger. Yeah, it's a bespoke burger. We we ensure that we provide quality and fresh products throughout the shops. Everything in our shop is fresh and quality. Now you can put it together and choose how you want it. Amazing. Is there, um, is, do you feel that that's recognized as well by your customers? Because you, you, obviously Nathan talks a lot about, you know, the type of peppers that you're using, the, the type of uh, beef that you're using, um, the way that, you know, the handmade, um, you know, the way that you, you, you know, you, you cook burgers. Do, do you feel that those details are, do you no. think there's more knowledge amongst the, it's particularly Muslims who, who, who I'm sure is the majority of your customers, do you feel that that detail is um, acknowledged? Do people talk about that? Do they, you know, do they understand the difference? Not as much as we'd like them to, but um, the way I see things is um, we're probably acting on a, a, a three-pong process on this year. Uh, for us now, it's about establishing ourselves as a brand. Um, when people come in, uh, they, we want them to uh, know or understand that, it's, uh, um, that, that they're, eating a, they're eating a premier burger. Um, I think uh, as we uh, move on, as time moves on, I think um, it's uh, about letting them know why that burger is so good, that we are using those fresh ingredients and, and so on. But what I want people to concentrate on uh, most of all at the moment is the quality of the food and the quality of the service. And, not, and, um, and after that, the value, the, the value for money that comes with it. Agreed. So, yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think the, the education is going to catch up because there's so many more choices now for halal food and the type of establishments like you guys and another you know even all the way through to fine dining we're seeing a lot more um a variety and even commercial brands are obviously offering halal choices because it is a it's a big niche right halal the halal audience is a big niche um let's talk about your branding because i love your branding i, mean, I work in marketing um and you know brand is is at the front and center of a lot of stuff that i do um who come up with the branding because the branding is you know, it's, it's playful um, from the brand name to the slogan, to the colors, to the way you've designed your website, you know, even the names of your items. Who come up with the ideas, the concepts? I think it was a, a combined process. So we, got, we had some uh, professionals involved, but it was about us. So the thing is, before we met, met the people that were going to do the branding process, we would have a good, a good idea about what we wanted to do. Because I, I don't know if, as I, as I mentioned before, um, the, the, what we're opening is a brand. It's not a burger shop. 
it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a brand. We don't want to be a one one burger shop there. We want to build on something. We, we, I believe we're selling something, a quality product. And I believe that that quality product uh, should be open and available to, to more people. I would, uh, I mean, I'm part of the business. But um, yeah, uh, in terms of the brand, it kind of represents our, our values, our outlook, and uh, so on. So Andy's, we, we came up with that name. We uh, came up to the brand. We had to, uh, a good talk with the brand about our history, our background, our influences. And um, uh, they came up with that. So banging burgers, I think something that came up within a meeting. That was, yeah, the burgers are banging. I have to yeah. say that. Some of the yeah, you've smashed it with the um with the branding. I think you've really got it on point. Um, you guys were got quite famous on social media um, not so long ago with Nico doing the not McDonald's. Uh, how did that come about, and uh, did it did it what kind of impact did that have? Um, Nico contacted me, and uh, at the time I didn't know who he was. I'm 42, like I mentioned before. I, uh, and when he phoned me on FaceTime, my little nephew went into a fit like Nichols on the phone. So, that must be special. So, we invited him down to the shop. We had a chat, got him to taste the food. And he devised, I think he's done a few previous pranks on McDonald's in the past. And um, he liked the look of that shop, liked the food. And we thought it'd be good bit publicity. What he said at the start of the video is the truth. We're a new business starting out. And yeah, but one of the conditions was to tell the truth in relation to us, to tell the truth about products and uh, run the prank. And it worked out quite well. I think 11 million people, 10 million people have seen it. Amazing. Did you see like a massive surge in people turn up like right afterwards or? I think we were just picking up at the time ourselves, and it's given us a lot of recognition, yeah. Lots of recognition. You do get customers walking. And they'll and they and they'll mention and they'll mention the um, uh, the social media. The uh, so so that actually that actually leads me on to the like one of my final questions before we end the segment. Um, in terms of your, um, obviously you've got a great brand and you've got a good product. You know, I think um, I, I hear a lot of feedback as well from 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 my friends, you know, family that say, you know, they really enjoy your burgers. How, what's your kind of plans over the next year um, from a business, as a business, where do you see yourself? And also how do you, will you continue to, as you know, we're saturated with burger joints. I feel like we go through phases, especially as a community. We'll have, you know, you said, I said the the chicken shops, and then you had the, you know, then you had the doner kebab places, and then you had the, you know, um, uh, the um, halal burger. Now you've got the halal burger places, um, and we go through these phases. Um, how how are you kind of obviously in a saturated marketplace? How will you kind of keep on top of that and make sure that your brand continues to evolve? And you continue to um, be successful. Yeah, I can tell you from a food point of, a food point of view, is um yeah, our food's only going to get better. So um, more variations on the menu. I'm really, really, really um, uh, aiming for. Um, well, we've got good quality at the moment. Um, I want to uh, keep that quality consistent. Uh, and yeah, um, try and uh, try and build on the um, the the success we've had already. And uh, hopefully, um, yeah, people will understand that they're getting something of quality. Yeah, they're getting something of a, of a, uh, a superior standard to what, uh, to what else they're getting. And I'm not saying 
that there's other burger joints out there or other burger restaurants out there that do do good burgers. But I think um yeah, I think no one does that. Yeah. No one does that. No one puts that time, effort and love. No one makes it bang. So thanks yeah. Nathan. Thank thanks you. It's been a pleasure speaking to you guys. These guys are on a mission to create the best banging burger. Uh, so go check them out. And then... They've got the most banging burger in London. We've been Hello Hangouts on Hanging Out. Guys, tune in next Thursday, 7 o'clock on 94.0 FM. Um, we are out.